This morning, I'm just going to share with you a couple of thoughts before we get into the message. I want to begin by saying that we are going to spend the next several weeks in the 119th Psalm. Some of you may say something like this, haven't we looked at this chapter before? And the answer to that question would be yes. Uh, Several years ago on a Wednesday night, we did go through a series of Psalm 119. And then in my Sunday school class, about a year and a half or so ago, we uh, looked at passages from the 119th Psalm. But this I am sure of. First of all, I have the liberty to bring us into this study. I feel like I've prayed about this, and I believe that uh, the Lord has given me the green light to be able to take us through this chapter. The second thing is this. I know that the content of Psalm 119 is something that needs to be addressed over and over and over again, because what you see in the 119th Psalm is this, an emphasis on the Word of God. Every verse, all 176 verses, deals with the Word of God in one form or another, in one way or another, from different perspectives. And so I am convinced that uh, it is a necessary study, it is a needed study, especially in today's culture, in today's society, where the Word of God is not highly respected, where the Word of God is not highly valued. And uh, I want us to be a church and I want us to be a people who value the Word of God and and who understand our relationship and what it should be to the Word of God, all right? And so we're going to be here the next few weeks, next few months, rather, and again, I trust it will be a help to us. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. I know I've said this so many times, you've probably grown weary of me saying this. I'm asking you a question that I really don't need your response on because I know the answer to the question. I know that you are as aware of this as I am, but I want us to think about this. And so I'm going to ask you a question, not because I don't know the answer, not because I don't think you don't know the answer, but uh, I just want us to think about this. I want to ask you this morning, how many of us have ever been exposed to passive, lazy individuals? Passive, lazy individuals. They exist, do they not? They exist in so many different realms of life. When it comes to just certain things in life, they are passive or they are lazy in relation to those things. It might be something like this. You see the student that could be getting much better grades than what they are getting in school. They could be pulling in A's or B's. They could be doing this consistently. They could be doing this fairly easily if they would just study, if they would just put forth a little bit of effort. But because they are lazy or because they are passive in their education, they're not pulling in the A's and the B's like they could. They're pulling in the C's and the D's, maybe the occasional F. You, you look at someone like this and you think, my goodness, you're lazy. You're lazy. That's what you are. It might be the athlete that you're looking at, and you know they've got the ability, they've got the raw talent to be able to to do so much more and to be such a better athlete if they would just put forth the effort, if they would just give it the, the, the attention that it deserves in their life, if they would just pursue it with a little bit more ambition, they could be such a better athlete, but because they are lazy or because they are passive or because they think they'll just slide by with their natural talent, they don't accomplish everything that they could accomplish in the world of sports, you see this in the realm of, of employment, do you not? The people who could be doing so much more, the people who could be accomplishing so much more, but because 
They are lazy because they are passive in their approach to work. They just continue to give the bare minimum. They just continue to give as little as is required of them to keep their jobs. We know people in all areas of life. We know people from all walks of life. And they are passive in their approach or they are lazy toward their approach. They could be doing so much more, but it's not priority to them. Therefore, they give less than their best in that particular area. We know people like that, correct? Amen. I want to ask you something. When you come into contact and when you have consistent dealings with the lazy or with the passive, is it frustrating or is it neutral by way of your feelings toward that individual? I don't know about you, but it's frustrating to me. Whenever I'm talking to my kids and I know they could be doing better in school, I'm not sitting there saying, well, you know, shucks. Hey, we're all kids. If, if you're cool with C's and D's, I'm cool with C's and D's. No, that's not my approach. That's not my attitude at all. If you can do better, I want you to do better. It's frustrating if you don't. Some of you are acting like you don't agree with this. You need to, okay? It should be frustrating if your kids are underperforming in school. It is frustrating, I would assume, uh, since I work by myself, I can't really relate to this anymore, but I mean, I would think it would be frustrating if you had coworkers or if you had employees and you knew they could be doing so much more, but because of laziness or because of their passive attitude, they weren't doing as much as they could be. I would think that that would be very frustrating to you, would it not? Again, I think it should be. It should bother us and it should disturb us to know that there is someone with more potential, with more ability, with more capabilities. They have so much more available and yet they're not using it or they're not taking advantage of it. That should bother us immensely. Now with this passive mentality or with this lazy approach to life, I want us to understand a couple of things. Laziness is not a health issue. You understand this? Health issues do not force us to be lazy. Because there are many people with health issues who still accomplish things and do more than they should be able to do with the health issues they have. Laziness or a passive attitude and approach to life, that is not a health issue. It is not a genetic issue issue. You know, I was just born this way. I don't agree with that. I don't buy that. I don't think that's how it works. I want us to understand something. Laziness may be a generational issue, but it is not a genetic issue. A person may come from a long line of lazy, but it's not a genetic issue. That is a generational issue, but it is not a health issue. It's not genetics. It's not DNA. It is nothing of that nature. Understand something, please, and I know that you know this, but I want to say it just for the sake of, uh, of establishing it this morning. Laziness or being passive in life, that is a choice an individual makes. A person chooses and a person decides to be lazy. Every day a person decides, will I be lazy today? Will I be passive? Will I just sit back and kind of watch everything happen? Or am I going to choose to get out there and have some ambition, to have some zeal, to have some kind of approach to life that would help me accomplish something? Laziness 
or being passive, being unproductive, being unfruitful in life. That is a choice people make for their lives. I don't have to be lazy. I don't have to be passive. You don't have to be lazy. You don't have to be passive. And anytime someone would suggest otherwise, just know this, they are lying and they are making excuses for their laziness. We don't have to be lazy and we don't have to be passive. Someone says, well, what does that have to do with the Scripture? Well, keep in mind this morning as we enter into this new study that every verse deals with the Word of God in one form or another, from one perspective or another. So in verse number 4, here's what we see. We see that the writer of the psalm, most likely David, mentions the precepts, and we can rightfully assume that he is talking about the precepts of God. So in verse number 4 of Psalm 119, the writer mentions the precepts of God. Now, the word precepts may be a word that you don't use on a regular basis. You may not have ever heard that word used before. Maybe you're very familiar with it. But let me just explain real quick what a precept is. A precept is a commandment. Okay, and so what the writer of the verse and what the writer of the chapter here is talking about are the commandments of God. The precepts of God, the teachings of law uh, of God, the, the laws of God, okay? So, so here's the writer mentioning or dealing with the Word of God from the standpoint of precepts or commands. And this morning I want us to think about something as it relates to commands. Two truths that I want us to think about because it's, it's kind of interesting and it's kind of essential for the, the message this morning. But a command does two things at least, okay? It may do some other things, but it does two things for sure. The first thing that a command does is this. It alleviates or it eliminates a person's will in a matter when they have been commanded to do something. Now, it doesn't mean that they cannot disobey the commandment, but what I am saying is this. In order to be obedient to the commander, the one who has given the command, if the person wants to be obedient to them, then when the command is given, it has then just taken away a sense of their personal authority. What do I mean? I mean this. Whenever I give my children an instruction, or whenever I give my children an order, or if we wanted to use the word this morning, whenever I give my children a command, guess what I just did? I just removed from them a sense of their personal authority. Because I am the command giver in our home. Now again, they can choose to disobey, they can choose to do that and suffer whatever consequence would come from that. But understand please, when a command is given, something that it does is it alleviates or it eliminates a person's personal authority in this matter. And, and something else it does by way of a command is this, is it takes away the need to think, which is sometimes nice. See, whenever I tell my children to do something, they don't even have to think anymore. If, if I say to Nathan, hey, I want you to take out the trash, guess what he has to do? He just has to take out the trash. He doesn't even have to think about it. If I say to the girls, hey, girls, I want you to do this. I want you to take care of this. I want you to help your mom. I want you to take care of this, this, whatever it may be. Guess what they no longer have to do? They don't have to think. I'm going to do what I've been commanded to do. Somebody says, well, that doesn't sound very enjoyable. I know it may not sound enjoyable, but that's some of what a command does. 
a command from the commander, from the, the one giving the command, it takes away a portion of that person's you know, personal authority in life. And, and something else it does is it removes from them the need really to think because now I've already been told what to do. Now think about this, whenever he speaks of the precepts or he speaks of the commandments of God, here is what the writer would suggest to you and I, that whenever God gives a command, yes, it does take away a portion of our personal authority. It does, if I want to be in obedience to the one who has given the command. And something else it does is this, is it takes away my need or your need to think about the command that's been given. If God's Word says this, I don't have to think about it. If God's Word says this, I don't have to think about it. If God's Word declares something else, I don't have to think about it. Why? Because the one who is the giver of the command has told me what to do, and if I want to live in obedience to the commandor, then I don't even have to think about it. I just have to do what he has said because I recognize I don't have the personal authority to argue the commandments that have been given. So here's the writer, and he speaks of the precepts. Now notice what it says. He says, Thou hast commanded us to keep the commandments. So what does that mean? It means this. I'm not asking whether or not you want to keep the commandments. As the giver of the commands, I'm commanding you to obey the commands. You don't even need to think about this. So it would again be something like this. In our house, I am commanding you to do what I command you to do. I don't want to. Okay, then here are the consequences for it. I am commanding you to do what I have commanded you to do. Well, let me think about it. You don't need to think about it or else there will be consequences to it. You understand how this works? Okay, so here is what the, the Scripture says, that, that I am commanding you to do certain things with the commandments of the Word of God. So what the Word of God declares, what the Word of God states, what the Word of God commands, what the Word of God requires, what the Word of God says you will do if you are willing to submit yourself to His authority. Okay, what the Word of God says, I am commanding you to do certain things in relation to those commands. So what does it say in verse number 4 by way of commands? He says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts, or to keep thy commandments. What is the writer telling the audience they have been commanded to do in relation to the commandments? He said this, you have been commanded by God to keep the precepts, to keep the commandments. What does it mean to keep something? What does it mean when the writer says that we have been commanded or that people, the children of God, have been commanded to keep the precepts of God? Well, the word keep has several definitions. I want us to think about three of them. The first one would be this, to observe. To observe the commandments of God. You have commanded us, or we could make it personal, we could say it like this, you have commanded me to observe the Word of God. Now, I know this is going to seem somewhat redundant, but just stay with me. Personally, I have been commanded, and personally, you have been commanded 
observe, do what God's word says. That's a command. Again, somebody may say, well, I don't like that command. It doesn't matter. God is God. We are not. So based on that truth, if God says, I am commanding you to observe my commandments, we really only have two options, obedience or disobedience. And if I want to be right with God, then I must observe. I must do what God's word says. Now, why is that so important? It is so important for so many reasons, but one of them would be this. There are so many people today who think that though though God is God, they still have the personal authority and the personal right to determine which, which words and which laws or which commandments they will and will not observe. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all are acting like this is confusing. I don't think it's that confusing, okay? Think about this, and maybe I'm just misreading it, all right? But, but, it, but it's like this. We live in a society today that says, well, you know, I don't like what the Word of God has to say about that, so we're not going to do that. Well, we, we've got to remember that's not our prerogative. That's not our position to say, well, I don't like what the Word of God says here. Somebody, you know, says of this portion of the Scripture, well, I don't like what the Word of God says here. Well, it doesn't really matter what I think of what the Word of God says here because I have been commanded and you have been commanded to just observe and do what the Word of God says. And I don't even have to think about it. And you don't have to think about it. I have been commanded to just keep or to observe or do what God's Word says. So we live in this society that says, well, I'll just kind of pick and choose and and, then I'll just kind of decide what parts I like and what parts I don't like. No, you're overstepping your boundaries there. That's not your position to decide which ones you like and don't like and which ones you will and will not observe. That's not the way it works. So that's one aspect of the word keep. Another aspect of the word keep that I want us to think about would be this. It means to preserve. It means to preserve. What does it mean to preserve something? It it means to, to do something in an effort to make it last. I I want to preserve it. I I want to make sure that it stays intact. Why would that be important? Well, you and I, we may know the Word of God. You and I may be aware of the Word of God. You and I may be understanding of what the Word of God declares. And you and I may understand that we're supposed to observe this. But I want us to think about this. There is a great need in my life and there is a great need in your life to preserve the Word of God and to keep it intact. For what reason? Maybe, if for nothing else, for the next generation to know what the Word of God teaches and what the Word of God declares. There is a need not just for me to observe the Word of God. There is a need not just for me to do what God's Word says personally, but as it relates to the Word of God, I need to preserve it and I need to keep it intact so that I can pass it down to a new generation, to the next generation, and say to them, listen, this is what the Word of God declares, and we are commanded to obey that, son We are commanded to obey that, girls. We are commanded to obey that, 
grandchildren. We've been commanded to preserve the Word of God so that somebody else might know the truth of God's Word and rightfully learn their need to observe it. Now, I know I'm asking this repeatedly this morning, but uh, think about it. Why would that be important? Because just as we are living in a society today and just as we are living in a culture today where many people decide they have the authority to pick and choose what they will or will not do, we also live in a society today where the next generation is growing up and they have no clear understanding of what the Word of God is teaching and what the Word of God expects and what the Word of God demands. So many of our young people, even the young people growing up in churches, they are getting a very distorted view of what Christianity is supposed to look like. If you don't believe it, if you don't buy that, I beg you to just give attention to this truth, to give attention to this idea. Begin looking around. Begin taking things into consideration. Look at what the younger generation is accepting as so-called biblical authority and as so-called the Word of God. The younger generation of believers, the younger generation of people who would identify themselves as Christians, they are now of the mindset, they are now of the opinion that certain things are not sin, though God has declared them as sin. They are of the mindset that you look like the world, you sound like the world, you act just like the world, but that's all okay in Christianity. They are of the mindset, they're of the idea, they're of the mentality that we don't judge because we're not judgmental. They have such a distorted, twisted view of what true Christianity is and what the Word of God truly teaches because it has not been preserved for them by the ones who previously had possession of the truth of God's Word. I don't know if you're ever amazed at people's perspective on the Word of God. But I'm here to tell you so many times, they have that flawed perspective and they have that flawed thinking because someone did not rightfully transmit to them what the Word of God taught, what the Word of God teaches, what the Word of God commands, and what the Word of God is all about. I have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to take the Word of God as it truly is, not my version, not somebody else's version, not the church's version, not anything of that nature. I have the responsibility and you have the responsibility to take the Word of God and say we're going to take it at face value. It says what it means. It means what it says. And rather than lying to my children, rather than distorting it to my children, rather than trying to twist it to make it fit our social agenda, no, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to preserve this so that my children and my grandchildren and the next generation coming up after me, they truly know what the Word of God teaches. I have been commanded to do that. That is not optional. That is not anything I have to think about. It is established as anything can be. I have the responsibility to preserve the Word of God, to make sure that it stays intact if for no other reason, so that the next generation 
can take advantage of it and know what it says, know what it expects, knows what it requires. But there's another aspect of the word keep that I want us to think about, and it means this. To guard or to protect. I have been commanded. You have been commanded. We have been commanded to guard and to protect the commandments of God. What do we generally need to guard or protect? Generally, it's something of value and something that might come under attack. I don't need to protect the junk in my life. I don't need to guard against that. People see junk in my front yard. I don't need to be out there on guard because no one wants junk. But if I've got something of value, if I have something of worth, if I have something of significance out in my front yard, I've got to be mindful of it. I've got to be aware of it. Something like that. You understand the principle here, don't you? I mean, you only guard and you only protect that which has some value or that which would come under attack. Now think about, please, for a moment, the commandments of the Word of God. Is it not under attack in the world that we live in today? It is constantly under attack. It is under attack in the media. It is under attack in our schools. It is under attack in our churches. It is under attack in just in general. I mean, the Word of God is constantly under attack. And you know what we've been commanded to do? We have, commanded, we have been commanded to protect it and to guard it and to not let it just suffer from the attacks. I don't even have to think about it. If the Word of God is being attacked in this arena, and I'm a part of that arena, I've got to stand up for the truth of the Word of God. If it's being attacked in this area of my life, and and I'm a part of the conversation, if someone is attacking the Word of God, it's not my responsibility to just sit back and say, well, you know, we've all got our differing opinions, and you know, we all just have to live by faith in one thing or another. No, if the Word of God is under attack, I am commanded to stand in protection and in guard of the truth of God's Word. Because that's what God told me to do. I've been commanded and you have been commanded to observe, to preserve, and to guard the truth of the Word of God. Now this morning, I, I think we know this, that you and I could sit here and we could say, well, that's right, that's what's expected of us, that's required of us. And, and I think if we wanted to, we could shut the sermon down now, and some would say that sounds good to me, but we're not going to. So, so let me just say this, we, we could end here though, and, and that would be a challenge to many of us to just observe the Word of God, because sometimes we don't. It would be enough of a challenge for us to say, preserve the Word of God. And it would be enough of a challenge for us to hear these words. We need to guard and we need to protect the Word of God. But I want us to notice that the writer of the verse did not just say, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts. He said, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Diligently. Do words matter? Absolutely they matter. Words are of great importance. 
Now think about this word, diligent, for just a moment. Diligently does not mean emotionally. The writer is not appealing to anyone's emotions. But the word diligent or diligently would mean this. To do so exceedingly, to do so passionately, and to do so forcefully. To do something exceedingly or to a great extent, to do something with some passion, and to do so with some force. You know what the writer says in verse number 4? He says this, we have been commanded. This is not an option. This is not something we need to think about. We have been commanded to observe and to preserve and to guard and protect the commandments of the Word of God with some passion, with some zeal, with some diligence. There is no room in keeping the Word of God for laziness or being passive. Meditate on that for a moment. In keeping the Word of God, in observing it, preserving it, and guarding it, there is no room for laziness in this realm. There is no allowance for being passive. What would it look like for a person to be passive in keeping the Word of God? Well, it would mean or look something like this. Not really passionate about personal obedience. Not a real zeal, not a real driving force in their life to be obedient to the Word of God. I, I ask you this morning, how many times have we come into contact with a passive Christian who was passive in their attitude about personal obedience to the things of God? Have we met them? I mean, we've met the passive person who is a student. We've met the passive person who is an athlete. We have met the passive person who is an employee. I'm here to tell you there are people who identify themselves as believers who are passive in their desire to be obedient to the Word of God. They may or may not be obedient. They may or may not do the right thing. They may or may not do what the Word of God says. I mean, they may do it for a while. They may get excited about it for a while, but it may wear off. It may not be comfortable. It may not be Exciting, and so you know what they once had with passion, they, they no longer have with the passion and the zeal and the force. It happens. They are passive in their obedience. How many professed believers have we known who are passive in preserving the Word of God? They are passive in passing it down, the truth of God's Word, to the next generation. I mean, there are so many parents these days who are so passive in their, in their relationship with their children as it relates to the Word of God. They are so passive because, heaven forbid, my children see someone who is passionate or diligent about serving the Lord in their father or their mother. And we don't want our kids to grow up thinking we're a bunch of fanatics around here. We don't want our kids to grow up thinking we're a bunch of radicals around here. We don't want our kids, you know, like being weird and stuff. 
Boy, we would hate it if our kids were weird at school. We would hate it if the principal thought, well, we were kind of weird because we were so passionate about teaching our kids the truth of the Word of God. We would hate for a coach to think that we were so passionate that we were going to make certain decisions based upon the Word of God rather than what the coaches were telling us and what culture was telling us. Listen, there are so many parents who are passive in this preserving the Word of God for the next generation. It's not that they don't want their kids to be good kids and, and, you know, Christian kids, but I don't want my kids to just be weirdos. Heaven help us. Those of us who are raising kids. Heaven help us to not have normal kids. I don't want a child that is normal if that's what normal looks like. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want my kids to have to experience this if that's what normal is. I don't want my kids to have to struggle with this if that's what normal is. I don't want my kids to think that this is right and this is wrong, even though the Word of God says that is wrong and this is right. I don't want my kids to be socially acceptable if it means they have to live in opposition to the Word of God. So therefore, it is my responsibility to do this, but in order to do it, I must be diligent. I cannot be passive. It is not something that is available to me if I'm going to be right with the Lord. And yet so many people are passive in preserving it for the Word of God or for their children as it relates to the Word of God. How many times have we seen people who are passive in guarding and protecting The Word of God. The Word of God says this. It's currently under attack and people are scoffing. People are laughing. People are making fun of. People are getting some good, you know, mileage out of this one. And now can you believe what the the Christians are saying? Can you you believe what the right-wing radicals are saying? Oh, can you believe it? And and you know what so many Christians do? They just cower down and and they don't say anything because, well, they sure don't want to look goofy and they sure don't want to look weird and, and we don't want to be the one that's made fun of and identified as one of those people. Have you ever known anybody who had the chance to take a stand and defend the truth of the Word of God and they did not do it because of some reason only they know? Sure. How many times have we done it? How many times have we been the person who could stand up and and say, listen, guys, I know that you're making fun of this. I know that you're mocking it. But I just want you to know, I believe what the Word of God says. And I believe that that is true. And I know that you can laugh at me. And I know that you can make fun of me. I understand. I get it. But I just want you to know that I stand with the Bible. And I stand with the Word of God. And I just want you to know that though society doesn't accept it, though society thinks it's ridiculous, I just want you to know I stand with the Word of God. How, How many times have we failed to have that kind of boldness? For the truth of God's word. See as a child of God. As a follower of God. If I say that I believe in the truths. And the precepts. And the commandments of the Lord. Then I don't have the right. To do anything. But diligently. Passionately. Forcefully. With some zeal. Be obedient to the word of God. Preserve it for the next generation and protect it when it's come under attack from outside sources. 
That is what I am commanded to do. Now listen, I know you know this, but so many times we are less than diligent, we are passive, and we are lazy. And I want us to, to, to give attention to this. We don't have to wonder what God's attitude is toward that type of Christianity. Just like I shouldn't have to worry what your attitude is toward the lazy child, just as you shouldn't have to wonder what my attitude is toward a lazy child, we don't have to wonder what God's attitude is toward a passive, lazy child of God. See, when you and I are passive, whenever you and I are lazy in our Christian life, when you and I aren't taking this serious and trying to live it the way the Scripture commands us to live it, I think that puts us borderline in the area of being lukewarm. Would it not? You know, I mean, if I'm not really hot, if I'm not really cold, if I'm not really passionate, you know, I'm I'm not against, I'm not anti, I'm just not crazy about it. You know what that puts me? It puts me somewhere in the middle, like being lukewarm, and we know what God's attitude is toward that. It's that of disgust and being repulsed by it. So whenever I'm passive, whenever I am lazy, and if you are ever passive, and if you are ever lazy in your relationship with the Lord and keeping His commandments the way that we've been commanded to, we don't have to wonder, I wonder how God feels about this. We know exactly how He feels about it. He's disgusted by it. All that being said, I want to make one more statement, one more thought, and we'll be dismissed. A few moments ago in dealing with the lazy student, the lazy athlete, or the lazy employee, I said this, laziness and being passive, it's not a genetic problem, it's not a health problem or anything of that nature. It's a choice. It's a choice. That's exactly what it is, it's a choice. I want to remind us this morning that my spiritual life and your spiritual life and the degree to which we pursue obedience, that is our personal choice. You and I cannot sit here this morning and say anything like this. Well, you don't understand the way I was raised. It doesn't matter how you were raised. If you want to keep the Word of God, you can keep the Word of God. You can observe it, you can preserve it, and you can protect it. So you can't sit there and say, well, you don't know the way I was raised. It is a choice. Do you want to observe the Word of God? Do you want to preserve it? Do you want to protect it? If you do, then go out there and do it. Somebody say, well, you don't understand the kind of the, the pressure I'm under at work. You don't understand the kind of rules that I've got at work. You don't understand. I may not understand the exact pressure you're under or the stress you're under. I may not know exactly what you're talking about, but I do know this, if you want to keep the Word of God, you can keep the Word of God. Well, you don't understand my family. It's just so awkward when we get together. You just don't understand. Listen, it's a choice, and all we've got to do is admit, this is a choice. Am I going to do this diligently, or am I going to be passive and lazy in this? Every day that we wake up, we make the decision, we make the choice. 
Am I going to follow God diligently? Am I going to keep his precepts passionately? Am I going to do this with some kind of zeal and with some kind of a driving force in my life? Or am I just going to get up today like I do every other day and just kind of pass through the day, just kind of float through the day, and just kind of whatever happens, happens. What will be, will be. Listen, it's a choice. It is a choice. Will we choose to keep his precepts diligently? Or will we choose to be lazy and passive in keeping the precepts of God? It's our choice, but just remember, to choose to be passive is a choice to frustrate and to disgust the God who has commanded us to keep his precepts. And that's not a good position to be in. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to, to look at our lives for just a few moments. God, would you help us to be willing to ask whether or not we keep your precepts with diligence? Lord, it may be 